Good evening, you're watching Stockwatch with me, Zanati Kuma, and joining me to unpack your stock-related questions tonight are Mark Dutoy from Oyster Catcher Investments and Nick Krell from FNB Wealth and Investments. Be sure to send those questions via SMS to 41392, email at stockwatch at bdtv.co.za, or tweet us at businessdaytv using the hashtag Stockwatch. Thank you so much for your time, gents. Nick, I want to start off with you. It's red all across the board. Uh, the JC's really been getting a hammering for at least the last uh, three uh, trading sessions. And I'm wondering what the markets are holding on to here because, I mean, if you look at the Fed being the thing that's been driving markets the most and, and Treasury yields, we did get kind of comforting news um, a couple of weeks ago or last week from uh, a lot of Fed uh, officials saying that, you know what, there's maybe no need for the Fed uh, to continue hiking rates at this point. Uh, but now ahead of Fed's, um, of Fed Chair Jerome Powell's speech tomorrow, it seems that the markets are up in arms again. What's the deal? Yes, I think the, the conversation is still the same in the sense that it's all around whether or not uh, the Fed's hiking interest rates is slowing down inflation at the rate that they would like. Um, and if we continue having a look at inflation, it still looks a little bit sticky. You know, things like wars do not are not disinflationary. They're yeah. inflationary. So, you know, it depends on what the, the Fed is talking about. Uh, but are they going to be successful or do they need to raise interest rates a little bit uh, a little bit more? And then I think on top of that, even if they don't raise interest rates any further, they're going to be high for a while. And effectively, it looks like we're going to be waiting for something to break, which is not good for equity markets. So mm -hmm. everyone's tiptoeing around what is the timing around this? What is the, you know, Israel-Palestine kind of war? Is that going to, uh, you know, break out into a broader conflict? Uh, and so everyone's uh, nervous, I think, as it stands at the moment, and yeah. probably rightly so. But I mean, something that's not breaking is the U.S. economy, because that economy is still raving up, as we saw uh, with retail sales, industrial production. And even today's uh, weekly jobless claims were fewer than what markets uh, had expected. But I guess also, Mark, wouldn't that be a good thing uh, if the economy is still strong? Because it would mean that um, the U.S. would avoid a brush with recession. Yeah, I mean, that is the that is the best outcome is that you have the soft landing. So that is um, the Fed's able to reduce interest rates and inflation comes down without the U.S. going into recession. I guess that uh, earlier in the year, there was more probability ascribed to that outcome, whereas now I think more people are, are looking at the situation and saying interest rates will probably have to be higher for longer. And it might actually mean a recession in the U.S. before rates come down. Which, uh, which is a, a more negative outlook than, than we had a few months back. Mm, all right. Well, let us get to the questions. Yeah, as we're talking about interest rates, there's one here. Um, in light of anticipated free cash flow possibly going to reduce debt and or... Actually, no, let me not read out that line because I think that there's something that the viewer left out. But uh, which JC-listed companies stand to gain the most in value when interest rates start to be reduced? Nick? Well, I think the biggest reason uh, or the biggest factor that needs to be answered there is why interest rates are getting reduced. So in the hard landing type of scenario, it's because we've gone into recession, the consumer's under massive pressure, mm. things are looking terrible, in which case uh, it's a bit of a panic reaction, I suppose, from central banks to try and ease some pressure 
means at that stage there's probably some more pain to be felt in almost all stocks at that point. However, if we're saying that inflation is under control and we want to start stimulating the economy a little bit more, then certainly, uh, you know, piling into retail type of stocks or consumer oriented stocks, I think you're going to do very well in that sort of trade in that environment. Uh, but you've got to know what environment it is uh, for you to get that right. That's actually a very interesting take because all we think about when we think of a reduction in interest rates is that uh, central banks have finally uh, gotten inflation under control, but we actually don't think of the other scenario where things are really bad, that they're actually forced to take action. Uh, on your side, uh, uh, Mark, uh, I mean, let's, let's give it a good scenario. If inflation <laughs> does uh, you know, get to those targets that are set, um, and things are good. What uh, sectors on the JSC, I, I guess, you know, would benefit for, from from that environment? Yeah, I think. Uh, well, I mean, I guess you you still want to buy your quality companies. I think the the equity market will go up in general, and mm. some will go up more than others. Um, others. I mean, I guess I would. I'd like to own the South African banks in that in that scenario. Um, yeah, and then uh, something that was got uh, sort of trades on a longer. Uh, outlook with high growth prospects like a NASPAS or something like that. Mm. Quite interesting there, um, Mark, you're saying banks, because obviously we know that banks have benefited from a high interest rate environment, but when they are getting reduced, uh, Nick, would you still be going for banks? Well, yeah, so there's two factors, right? So when interest rates are high, they earn a higher margin, I suppose, in the interest that they, they, they earn out. So, so for them, there's a net benefit while interest rates are going up and a benefit that decreases when interest rates come down. Mm -hmm. However, when interest rates are coming down, they have generally, in a positive scenario, which we're framing this as, uh, they have a lot more appetite to do further lending and you have a lot more clientele that is looking for lending in that sort of scenario. So mm -hmm. they, will, they will lend a lot more, although the margin that they earn will be a little bit less. And then there is, therefore, a net benefit, I suppose, for banks in that scenario as well. Yeah, all right. Yeah, very, very interesting. Quite defensive in, in all kinds of environments. Um, there's a question here. My questions are for offshore accounts. I'd like the panel's view on the London Stock Exchange halting trade on 80% of their securities today. Mark, I didn't see that. Did you? Yeah, so there was a note that came out. It sounded like it was a technical issue that they had, um, in which case they were not able to, the exchange wasn't able to run. So, I mean, I... I don't know anything further than other than it was a technical issue and hopefully it'll be sorted out and trade can continue. And I mean, we have, we have seen this from time to time on different exchanges. There are, there are issues and what happens is they hold trade till they can sort the issue out and then we, then we carry on. Ah, it's not just the JSE. Uh, Nick, <laughs> Nick, as we were talking about uh, banks, um, offshore now, Bank of America, which came out with results. I think if I remember correctly, they did top uh, on earnings estimates. But the uh, question is, Bank of America's $131 billion debt impairment. Are we back to 1987? Was that something that stood out for you, Nick? It wasn't. So I didn't actually follow too much of the details. So there's not much I can, uh, you know, really talk about, you know, yeah. from that sort of perspective. I think you'll find with a lot of the U.S. banks and a lot of, you know, banks and bank management teams are quite um, conservative. So when there are two scenarios at play, one is an all fall down scenario. The other one is what we're hoping for, the soft landing. They would rather start, you know, getting some sort of impairments and, and pushing that through in the book just on the worry of sort of bad loans coming through. So, 
Um, it's not surprising to watch, uh, you know, uh, certain assets being written written down uh, to a certain extent. But um, I didn't actually see the detail with, with Bank of America. Ah, uh, all right. Uh, Mark, on your side, is there a comment on that? Yeah, I also didn't see the detail. Um, I guess the, the worry about the U.S. banks is that a lot of them have um, U.S. Uh, securities on their, as an asset on their balance sheet. And uh, with interest rates rising, those um, securities that they hold um, are worth less. And they're not repricing those through the income statement because it's a held to maturity investment. So you've got quite a large unrealized loss, uh, which they report, but they don't actually account for through the income statement. So what it means is over time, your, your future earnings are going to be lower than they, than they first appear. Mm. But I mean, a good analyst should be taking that into account. So... So it is, it is public, public information that is out there. I guess the worry is if interest rates stay this high for an extended period, I mean, those losses will eventually start coming through, coming through the accounting system, and then they'll, you'll start, they'll manifest themselves in lower earnings going forward over the next 10 years. Yeah. There is a question specifically for Nick, and I'm actually glad that uh, the viewer sent this, I think, about two weeks ago or a week ago, um, and I'm glad that they've sent it again, so meaning that they are watching. Um, please, can you send your question with a full uh, name of the company? So it says, uh, Nick chose a TLT a few shows ago. Is it still a hold? If yes, why? Um, what is it protecting against a recession, inflation, or something else? I did speak about it with Nick before the show. Uh, he's not sure. Um, what TLT is, uh, if it's an abbreviation or a code, please send your question to the viewer uh, with the full name of the company. I am glad that the viewer is watching. Um, but yeah, as we were talking about uh, earnings coming out of the U.S., Netflix coming out and uh, surprising to the upside. We did see that share price uh, really rocketing uh, today after those uh, third quarter results uh, in which they topped analyst uh, estimates. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there, there was a time uh, when I think people were quite unsure about Netflix. But Nick, would you say that this is maybe now uh, starting to be a turnaround story for Netflix? Well, I think to a certain extent, um, with more information that's coming out um, and more time that is coming through, I think it's pretty clear that Netflix has a significant technological um, and consumer advantage in the in the sense of the content that they generate and push out. So we've had over the last sort of three, four, five years, a lot of new platforms coming through saying it's going to be easy. It'll be easy to keep and retain clients. It'll be easy to, you know, have a great platform. And, you know, their results, I suppose, have been somewhat underwhelming, um, you know, over that period of time. And so I, I think they're starting to raise, uh, you know, come the cream rises to the top again. Um, and, you know, ultimately, they still have a very, very, very sort of uh, compelling type of offering. Yeah. Um, this latest sort of uh, stock raise was really on the back of them adding more consumer, uh, more, more client numbers. And that's largely on the, the back of them offering, you know, no ads or an advertising um, led type of strategy, as well as, uh, you know, starting to lock down on password sharing and the rest. Um, yeah. But it has a positive effect because at the end of the day, we might have a lot of other platforms, but probably Netflix is one of the core platforms that we keep. Well, does this now, Mark, um, kind of, uh, I don't know, give jitters to investors about multi-choice? Because, I mean, this is a very high, highly competitive <coughs> environment. When, Nick, when Netflix is doing this well, 
should uh, multi-choice uh, quiver? Yeah, so I mean, it is it is a a good comparison to make. I mean, they're both competing for our share of wallets. I mean, you've got a choice to to watch Netflix at home, or you can watch your DSTV subscription. I think the the worry for for multi choice is that the expense their product is expensive, and outside of the sport, you know, there's there's not a huge differentiation between the the two offerings. So you really are now competing on price, um, and MultiChoice's market share is starting to slip by comparison. So that is a reason why we are not uh, not bullish on, on MultiChoice, even though their current cash flow generation has been really good. But, um, yeah, the future prospects uh, is going to be there's a lot of competition and it's going to be more tough to make money for them. Nick, on your side, MultiChoice. No, not bullish either. Um, so I do think they should be quivering. I think they are quivering to a certain extent. Um, hence, they're looking for you know bigger and greater growth opportunities across their sort of clientele in the geographies that they sort of operate, sport betting, etc. Um, so I think they're looking at ways to to try and you know compete um, and differentiate their product and offering through to their clients. But it's going to be a bit of a tough journey. It's a bit of a almost turnaround or change of strategy. Um, I think going back to you know what what I mentioned with regards to Netflix uh, and the technology, the backbone that that uh, you know the platform is on. Um, have a look at you have Showmax and ultimately you've you know launched or going to be partnering up with Peacock. And one of the main reasons is because with Showmax uh, you know platform actually it's very difficult to get zero latency over a period of time uh, as you sort of bulk up uh, more and more users and more and more data onto that network. So um, you know they're trying to to partner up and get better set of technology. But if we compare Peacock and their offering relative to Netflix, I think Netflix platform is still. Uh, vastly superior. So, yeah, it's going to be tough. Ah, all right. Um, interesting question here. See Coronation up to stake in transaction capital. Is it time to buy, Mark? So I think it's still a, a very speculative buy. Um, there's, I mean, on the face of it, it looks like there is value in the group. I guess the, the difficult question is, you know, our current shareholders going to see that value. Because if there is any kind of restructuring, the current shareholders typically either going to have to put more money in or there's going to be some deal which which, which um, dilutes the value of, of, of your shareholding. Um, so maybe they you know get uh, another shareholder at the um, um, transaction capital, at the taxi finance business, or you know there's just such a range of outcomes um, that we are staying away at this point. I mean, the, it does look, if you take the sum of the parts, it looks like it is... It is cheap and it is a value stock, but um, we just are cautious and we're waiting to see, you know, are they able to to write the SA taxi business um, yeah. and sort of rebase it and without taking a big a big uh, haircut on it. Yeah. Um, uh, transaction capital, Nick. Uh, yeah. What's your view on that uh, after coronation increased the stake? Yeah, so I think I'm I'm pretty much with uh, with Mark on this one in the sense that you know why do we like listed markets and equities that are listed markets? Well, obviously there's because there's liquidity on the one side, so we get that. There's a lot of sort of free flow of information, but also there's visibility in terms of these companies report in South Africa twice a year, um, and we get a long track record of all of their sort of data. They've got to come up with financials. You know, offshore it's almost quarterly, so there is a multitude of data that you can get. You know, really comfort with and really get an idea on predicting, I suppose, what's going to happen in the future. Uh, you then have a look at what you've got out of transaction capital at the moment, and your visibility there is 
worryingly low um, and your predictability is low. So unless you look at the sum of the parts and say, listen, they'll sort it out and eventually there will be some value and I'm sure I'm, I'm willing to hold on to actually predict the time frame and the multitude of that, uh, the sort of exactly how the share price will react at the moment makes it uh, almost untenable um, and a little, you know, a little bit too speculative uh, for, for me. Well, I mean, this debate also uh, spills over to other companies. Uh, there's been someone who has been uh, uh, probing me and, na- and nagging me on WhatsApp about pick and pay. <laughs> I'm asking <laughs> if he should buy um, because it, it's cheap. And, you know, they were like, you know what? What if I take, I'm not even asking about the short to medium term uh, because I'm like, obviously, this is a process, a, a multi-year process to kind of get uh, pick and pay back on the right footing. Uh, and they were like, you know what? What if you take a five to eight year view? Mark, what would you say on that? Yeah, so I think that um, pick and pay does have a serious problem on their hands. So for years, they have uh, allowed inefficiencies to creep into their business. And ShopRite has been just a much more efficient um, operator. So now Pick and Pay is sitting with a large cost base that it needs to right size, and that's going to be very difficult. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be a tough road for Pick and Pay. I mean, ShopRite's in such a great space, you know, um, and their um, the online delivery business is, is just fantastic. Everybody's used it. I mean, they got a fantastic boost during COVID. They were ready to launch with it. And Pick and Pay just hasn't really been able to compete. And they have to now uh, reinvest um, whatever money they make back into price to try and, and offer a competitive offering with ShopRite. And at the same time, right, their large cost base. I really think it's going to be tough for Pick and Pay um, yeah. for the next couple of years. A tough road. And I was even saying, Nick, uh, to the person, just be careful of investing right now because I'm like, I don't know how... I feel like there could still be more bad news to take, at least in the short to medium term. Uh, yeah, what do, you, what do you think about it? Do you think all the bad news uh, is already in, or do you think that um, you know, it could take further pain, especially as you know, Sean Summers has just come in, they're revisiting the Ekwuseni strategy, we don't know. Uh, do you think it, it, it could still go down even more? There's still more bad news that could come. I, I will say, though, that Sean Summers at the results presentation said that there's only one way from here, and that's up. <laughs> well, I'm glad he said that. Um, <laughs> you know what, I, I think um, it's unfortunate for Pick and Pay and a whole host of other companies at the moment that are in the midst of the turnaround strategy to be doing that in a uncertain, weak macro environment with load shedding that came through hard and in these sort of businesses. You know, the timing is really not good. Um, you know, for the last year, I've been saying the type of companies you want to invest in are the guys that aren't doing a load uh, you know, turnaround strategy at the moment because times are uncertain and we don't know what's going to happen. We don't want companies that have massive amounts of debt because, again, we need to make sure that we can sail through these sort of uncertain sort of times. Um, so is the time right for Pick and Pay to invest now just because the valuation is there? No, they've still got the hard work ahead of them. Uh, they also seem to be almost creating more hard work for themselves, picking a strategy, picking a CEO, making some moves in that direction, then deciding, nah, we're not going to do that. We're going to go in a slightly different direction. So, again, it talks to visibility. Uh, for me, it's um, not where I'd want to be playing at the moment, although I keep my eye on it yeah. because if they start executing, you know, there is value. But uh, not, not now, no. Yeah. <laughs> All right. uh, a company that was left out in the cold today, Mondi, uh, that share price uh, slipped about, I think, 8%. Uh, 
And of course, that's as they released their trading statement for the third quarter. Um, yeah, Nick, do you think that it was, it was, it was, because my thing, I'm like, you know what, Mondi is a cyclical stock. Um, I mean, I feel like we know that, you know, the, the macroeconomic environment was going to filter through to the company. But yeah, what's shocking investors at this point? No, to be frank, I'm not 100% sure in the sense that I'm looking through most of it. There's no doubt that we are expecting a bit of a turnaround to happening in, you know, the fourth quarter. Um, and ultimately, it looks like that's going to be pushed out a little bit further. I'm not totally surprised by that. And ultimately, I still think that there is, um, you know, a, a recovery that is going to be happening, you know, in the medium term, let's call it that. So for me, Mondi actually screams, um, you know, fairly good value at these sort of levels. So I was quite surprised to see it hit, uh, you know, take a 7% uh, beating on the day. Mm. I will say, though, that some of these earnings that have been coming through, I think the reactions have been unwarranted for some of these sort of stocks um, where on the first day guys just look at a headline or they look at one very simple thing they miss uh, the vast majority of the the important sort of data and there's quite a big reaction to it and then yeah. we watch in the next couple of days the market re you know reasserts itself and it and it sort of drifts back up to its valuation or down to its valuation so you know i think it just shows how jittery investors are at the moment yeah they just want only good news and it must be good and if it's surprising <laughs> and good and nothing bad said then it's going to go up otherwise no we just <laughs> run away screaming until we we go through those long reports yeah uh, on your side mark um were you as surprised by the market's reaction as nick and i were or not I mean, I did think it was going to be down on the day. Maybe 8% is probably an overreaction. But mm. I, I think what the market is really looking for out of Mondi is, is a, some sort of sign that the market has bottomed. And today on the call, I mean, they, you know, all, all the questions like volumes are not really going up. Price, they say price has, the, the word they use is stabilized. Prices have stabilized. So, I mean, that says they're not falling, but it also says that they're not going back up anytime soon. So I think that they, I mean, they need the European macro to to loosen, you know, to improve. Um, and, you know, we just, there's just no sign of that um, as yet. So, you know, as soon as we see things starting to improve, the, the share price will move up. Um, but guys are cautious at this point. Yeah, and poor Sappy also got sucked into that. <laughs> I, I saw at one point it was down 5%. Uh, well, let's get to... Uh more positive, uh, more positive tone, uh, your stock picks for today. Nick, what will it be? Uh, for myself, I'm taking money offshore, uh, which is surprising at 19 Rand and 5 cents where we're trading against the dollar today. Uh, but um, I'm trying to sort of continue, I suppose, play a theme that I think has got legs, even in an uncertain macro environment. And I don't think, you know, in a company where I don't think the valuation is too, is too stretched. Um, so the company I'm picking is uh, Meta, formerly Facebook. Um, I do think that, um, you know, it looks pretty attractive. Yes, the vast majority of their income is generated through advertising, and that is going to be cyclically affected to an economic slowdown. So I understand that. But if I were to just have a look at the optionality they have in the rest of their business with AI, with uh, the metaverse, although that's somewhat underwhelming, um, I think, uh, you know, looking forward, it's trading at relatively cheap multiples, Balance sheet is strong, etc. So uh, I think it's a it's, it's a good bet. Yeah. All right. What are you betting on today, Mark? So yeah, I'm in a way I'm in a similar theme. I'm also putting money offshore, but buying process. So the offshore asset that I own is ten cent. Ten cents earnings uh, results, Q3 results will be out mid November. 
expecting good results. We're expecting revenue to be growing sort of low double digits, 10, 11%. Uh, operating profits to be up in the 20s, 20, 24%, somewhere around there. And I think for a company that's got that kind of growth, um, we're expecting good growth in the ad revenue. We're expecting they've had some great um, recent game releases. So there should be some support there as well. A company that's growing at 20% a year, I mean, you know, the, the, the share price really doesn't reflect reflect that. Um, so we think it, it shows value. I mean, it's it's not going to go up straight away if if you know if we if the war escalates or if interest rates go up. But um, from a from a business point of view, ten cents is growing, and uh, if you hold it, you should do well in the longer term. Ah, all right. Well, thank you so much for your time and analysis today, Jens. Really appreciate it. That's all for Stockwatch this evening. Thanks to our guests, Mark Detoy from Oyster Catcher Investments and Nick Crail from FNB Wealth and Investments. After this, I bring you the close. Stay with us.